All right. Where are we at? Revelation. Yeah, we are still there, aren't we? Hey, first of all, Stan, thank you for filling in for me. I heard he did a great job. So y'all, uh, I knew he would. And uh, I got tagged off. He said y'all got to the 13th verse of the 20th chapter. It's no fun picking up somewhere. Uh, but I'm going to try. But Stan, thank you for doing this for me. I appreciate it. And he'll probably be pinch hitting again somewhere down the road. Um, secondly, let me just say, I'm, I'm going to try to finish. We will finish the 20th chapter tonight. We're going to get into the 21st chapter. Probably maybe two more weeks, a possible third that we'll be in Revelation. We'll finish it up. Uh, when I finish up the study on one study, one night here in a couple of weeks, I've got a, uh, uh, a surprise for you. Um, I'm going to play a, we'll have to use the whole service, but I have got a gentleman that I was introduced to many years ago that I heard do the entire book of Revelation in one study. And you're going to get it all in one time, one 50-minute Bible study. Now, somebody might say, well, why don't you show us this at the beginning? We would have to uh, he's obviously not going to fill in the blanks, but I promise you, you will get blessed to hear, and I'll tell you who it is a little bit later on, and you'll get to hear that. So, And probably one of the next two weeks, I'm going to do something that's either really stupid or really uh, brave. I don't know which one it is. I'm going to open it up for questions. And you can ask me anything that you want to about the book of Revelation, and I'll let Stan answer it uh, for you, <laughs> when you when you ask. We'll see where that goes. Uh, and then after that, um, I, I prayed about, thought about where to go after we do the book, book of Revelation. And after thinking about it and praying about it, I thought I'd do a real simple study for y'all after that. We're going to study the whole book of Proverbs. How about that? Uh, that's a pretty simple book, and uh, we'll do it, and uh, let's see. Um, see how long that takes, and uh, I love I love the book of Proverbs. So anyway, uh, the twenty chapter twentieth chapter of the book of Revelation. Uh, I'm sure Stan probably did this, but let me give let me give you an outline of that twentieth chapter real quick. Maybe the same one he gave, and then I'm going to read the last four verses and just make a couple of comments about those last verses, and then we'll move into that twenty first. Uh, chapter. Here's an outline of chapter 20. Uh, verses 1 through 3, Satan is restrained. Verses 4 through 6, the saints will reign. We know they do that for a thousand years, the millennial reign. Verses 7 to 10, Satan will revolt. And then verses 11 through 15, the sinners are recompensed. And that's what we're going to look at for a moment. I'm going to go back and pick up at verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne. And then notice what it says. Books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the word of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds and the sea gave up the dead which were in it and death and Hades gave up the dead which are in them and they were judged every one of them according to their deeds then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire this is the second death the lake of fire 
And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. And again, I'm sure Stan dealt with this some last week, but this is the great white throne judgment. Uh, there will be a second resurrection, and the unsaved will be raised and will stand before God in judgment. Don't confuse this with the white throne judgment, uh, the judgment seat, I mean, don't confuse this with the judgment seat of Christ. Uh, the judgment seat of Christ is where believers will have their works judged and recorded or rewarded. Uh, at this judgment, there will only be unbelievers, and notice that there will be no rewards, no rewards for the unbeliever. Uh, a couple things to note in these verses. Number one, Jesus is the judge. Um, he will judge this world one day. He came as Savior. He will one day be judged. Uh, you know, he said that. He, he spoke of that through his ministry. John 5, verses 24 to 29, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my words and believes in him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but is passed out of death into life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For just as the Father has life in himself, even so he gave to his Son also to have life in himself. And he gave authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this. For an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and will come forth. Those who did the good deeds to a resurrection of life, those who committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. The latter is what we're reading about in these verses before us tonight. Matthew 19, 28, and Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you that, that you who have followed me in the regeneration when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you also shall sit upon the twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And then Acts 17, 31, because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead, obviously talking about the Lord Jesus. He will be the judge at that judgment. Uh, where do these dead come from? Well, death will give up the bodies. Hades, which is the realm of the spirits of the dead, will give up the spirits, and there they will be judged before the Lord Jesus. Jesus will judge these unsaved people on the basis of what is written in the books. Do you notice it's plural? Written in the books. So I think you have to ask the question, what books? What books? By the way, God doesn't need a computer. He's got books, and his books keep better records than any computer ever thought about keeping on this earth. Uh, what books? Well, I think there are at least three that we can know for sure. Maybe more. Uh, some would probably argue that there is, but I know there are three. Number one, first book that he will use to judge will be the Word of God. The Word of God. Every sinner will be held accountable for the truth he or she has heard in this life. Um, there's a verse in the Gospel of John, John 12, verse 48. Jesus said this, He who rejects me and does not receive my sayings has one who judges him. 
The word I spoke is what will judge him at the last day. You know, I, uh, over these years of preaching, uh, Lord, how many times have I preached? I don't know. Um, and you know, most of the time, in particular where, where I have preached in churches, you would like to think most everybody who are listening are believers. But that's foolish to believe that. Uh, there are a whole lot of folks who come to church week in and week out. They're lost as they can be. They've never really trusted Jesus. It's out of, out of tradition or it's out of habit or it's just it's out of you know, duty that some come. And there are those who don't have any intention in getting right with God. They'll still come sit in church. Or maybe you've talked to somebody and you shared the gospel with them and they didn't want nothing to do with it. They heard the truth. They want anything to do with it. And how many of us have done that very thing where we've talked to somebody that we know that they're lost and they've never come to salvation and we've told them how to get saved. We've told them God's word and yet they have rejected it. They will be judged according to the truth that they have heard. They will stand in judgment. Their own rejection of God's truth will reject you. So the word of God, that's one of those books. Secondly, there will also be a book containing the works of the sinners that will be judged. Uh, verse 12 makes that clear. Uh, why would lost people be judged by their works? Well, that's an interesting question. Obviously, all lost people go to hell, uh, but it is a possibility that their uh, judgments according in, in this judgment that will determine different levels of punishment in hell. Now, uh, there are a lot of verses in the scripture that teach that for the Christian, there's different rewards. Um, some are going to get a big match and some are going to little, get a little hut and glory. Now, a little hut and glory is better than nothing. <laughs> uh, but it, there are verses that seem to indicate, and we don't, we don't know how it all will pan out, don't know how it will work out, but we will be judged as believers according to our work and we will be so rightly uh, rewarded. Now, ultimately, regardless whether you get a boatload of rewards or just one or two, you're going to lay them at the feet of Jesus. They're going back to him anyway. But there is some indication that we will be judged for our works. Well, so that's going to be true of an unbeliever. Now, again, I don't have a verse I can take you to, but this explains, somebody will ask, a lot of times I've had people ask me this, they say, well, how can you say uh, that God loves everybody and then you've got somebody like Hitler? Well, will Hitler be judged the same way that just the regular lost person will be judged? Well, judgment for both will be hell. That's enough. That's bad enough. But you know a righteous God who is judging a wicked man like Hitler? Don't you think, to some extent, and I'm using a term that is not in the Bible, don't you think the, hot, the fire will be hotter for him than it might be somebody else? I don't know that. I don't have a verse to tell you that, but that is a possibility why the records in heaven are being kept accordingly, according to the works, the deeds of a lost person. And by the way, I know sometimes the Psalms deal with this quite often. We look at, uh, in fact, Psalm, I think it's Psalm, Psalm 37 that deals with it in detail. They fret over the evildoer, and we watch these evildoers seem to be prospering on this earth, and here's the righteous that is struggling this earth, and it's almost like, God, why? It doesn't look like it's fair, and the answer of the psalmist is this. Wait, wait. The, the, the unrighteous, theirs is coming. Theirs is coming, and so it is. Records are being kept. Those are some of the books 
again, verse 12 here of, of Revelation 20, and I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne. Books were open, and another book was open, which is the, word, the, the book of life. And then it says, and the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. By the way, with all the people who live on this earth, there'd have to be a lot of books. And then thirdly, I think the third book is the book of life. Now, what is the book of life? The book of life contains the names of God's redeemed people. And the reason the book of life is here at this judgment is simple. If your name's not in it, you're not going to heaven. Uh, the fact that your name isn't in it means that you are going to the judgment that we're about to read about. Verses 14 and 15. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Uh, I have to be honest with y'all, just reading that word, those words make me tremble. Uh, this is the ultimate and final judgment of God on Satan and the unbeliever. They were thrown into the lake of fire, or we know that place as hell. Now, here's a question I think you have to ask, and I know if you've ever shared the gospel with somebody, you've been asked this question. Would a loving God really send somebody to hell? Now, let me answer that question this way. No, a loving God would not. That's why he made a way you could be saved, because he loves you. But a holy God must judge sin. And we forget, and in our weak theology, in our culture that we live in today, that we have lost sight, that God's primary attribute is not his love. Now, he is a God of love. Thank God for that. He loves perfectly. He loves purely. But his primary attribute is not love. God's primary attribute is made clear in the scriptures. He is a holy God. And everything God is, he is out of his holiness. And everything God does, he does out of his holiness. God loves out of his holiness. God shows justice out of his holiness. God does everything. He gives grace out of his holiness. Everything ultimately comes back to the fact that he's a holy God. That's why when we see pictures of heaven, we see the seraphim before the throne, and they're, they're declaring God's attributes. What do they always say? We see it in Revelation. We see it in... We see it in Isaiah. We see it in other places. What do they say about God? Love, love, love? No, no. Holy, holy, holy. Now, as hard as it is to accept and as hard as it is to understand, let me just say this. It is out of the holiness of God that God must judge sin, and that judgment is death and hell. Uh, Romans puts it this way. For all have sinned, and fallen short of what? The glory of God. What's God's glory? It's his holiness. It's his holiness. And uh, being a holy God, he has no choice but to judge sin. That judgment separation from him. Now because he is a holy God, and because as a holy God he loves perfectly, God has made a way by which sinful sinners like you and I can get right with him. And he showed us that way through his son Jesus. That's why he sent Jesus to this earth. Uh, that's, the, that's the truth of the gospel. 
Jesus was sent so that we could be made right with the Holy God so that we could go to heaven and not go to hell. Uh, our sin sends us to hell. Uh, God doesn't really, I mean, we could debate these things all day long. There is a sense in which God never sends anybody to hell, but there's also a sense in which God does send everybody to hell. He has to. It has to because of his holiness. But ultimately because God has provided a way that lost sinners can be saved. Every lost sinner can be saved. Um, when you say no to that way, you've brought judgment upon yourself. You've rejected God's grace. You've rejected God's goodness. You've rejected God's love. So in that sense, God didn't send you to hell. You sent yourself to hell. There's a lot of ways to look at that thing, but my point is simply this. Yes, a holy God has to judge sin, and here we see him doing it. So because of that, thank God for Jesus who has taken my judgment for my sin. Amen? Amen. Well, that's what we see in Christ. Well, now to chapter 21. I'm going to do this in nine minutes. Uh, I'm not. I just thought I'd tell you that up front. Um, you get to this 21st and 22nd chapter, and these last two chapters focus on one thing. It focuses on our future. It focuses on the new city. It focuses on our eternal home. It focuses on heaven. Uh, here in these last two chapters, in fact, you could outline it this way. Verses 1 through 8 of chapter 21, we find the citizens of the new city. Uh, verses 8 through 27 of chapter 21, we find the characteristics of the new city. 22nd chapter, verses 1 to 5, we have the calling of the new city. And then verses 6 to 21 of that last chapter, the challenge of the new city. So we'll jump into it and I'll just go to my time runs out. We'll put a comma there and pick it up next week. Okay. Chapter 21 verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth passed away and there is no longer any sea. Now, this new heaven and new earth is that home that Jesus has been building for us for at least the past 2,000 years. John 14 verses 1 to 3. Jesus said, do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. This is that place that Jesus has been preparing. Uh, what a grand and glorious place our new home will be and think about this for just a minute folks if we can look around at this world and this universe and see what God has created in just six days think about what he could do in 2,000 years that's how grand and glorious our new heaven home will be uh, it's interesting to note that human history began in a garden it ends up in a city that is like a garden paradise what began in Genesis is brought to completion in Revelation 21. Uh, again, one of the interesting notes in these last two chapters is that there are seven new things introduced and revealed in chapters 21 and 22 that form a fitting 
uh, description of our eternal future home that God has prepared for us. And if you remember from our scriptural numeric study, what's the number seven stand for? Perfection. So this is our perfect place in heaven. Uh, verse 1 of chapter 21 speaks of a new heaven. Verse 1 of chapter 21 speaks of a new earth. Uh, verse 2 of chapter 21 speaks of the new Jerusalem. Uh, verse 5 of chapter 21 speaks of new things. All things are made new, it says. Uh, Revelation 22 verses 1 to 5 speaks of a new paradise. Uh, verse 5 of chapter 22 speaks of a new source of life. And then verse 3 of chapter 22 speaks of a new place for God's throne. This perfect place called heaven. And then John writes and he says, and there is no longer any sea. No longer any sea. S-E-A. Now I find that an interesting phrase to add to this. Uh, this does not necessarily mean that there will be no water in heaven, uh, but it probably means it will not be water in heaven as we presently know it here on this earth. Uh, it means that this new earth will have a different arrangement as far as the water is concerned. Now, if you know anything about your geography on this earth, what is it, three-fourths of our present earth is covered by water? Isn't that right? Something close to that? Uh, but this won't be the case in heaven, and when you see the description of it, you understand that to be true and why it is true. But I think beyond geography, John had a deeper meaning. Oftentimes in the scriptures, when it spoke of the sea, it spoke of it as a picture of life. And like the sea can become filled with turmoil, life can become filled with turmoil. Uh, the sea also pictured danger, it pictured storms, it pictured separation in the scripture quite often. So it may well be that as John saw this, not only is there no sea or like the sea would be on, our, on the earth in heaven, he also is saying that, hey, there's not going to be any more separation in heaven. There's not going to be any more storms in heaven. There's not going to be any more turmoil in heaven. That's what he means by that phrase. Uh, let, me, let me again say that what was begun in Genesis is brought to completion in Revelation 21 and 22. Now, you won't, you won't be able to keep up writing this down, so just listen. If you want it, I'll send it to you later. Here's, here's what began in Genesis. What, here's what comes to completion in Revelation. Uh, here it is. Genesis 1, heaven and earth created. Je uh, Revelation 21, there's a new heaven and a new earth. Genesis 1, the sun is created. Revelation 21 there's no need for the sun. Genesis 1, verse 5, the night was established. Revelation 22, 5, there is no night in heaven. Genesis 1, 10, the seas are created. Revelation 21, 1, there's no more sea. Genesis 3, verses 14 to 17, the curse is announced. Revelation 22, 3, guess what? There is no more curse, thank God. Genesis 3, 19, death enters history. Revelation 21, 4, there is no more death. Genesis 3, 24, man, man is driven from paradise. Revelation 22, 14, man is restored to paradise. Genesis 3, 17, sorrow and pain began. Revelation 21, 4 tells us no more tears and no more pain. What was started in Genesis comes to fulfillment. The end of the book of Genesis, I mean Revelation verses, uh, chapters 21 and 22. Uh, the citizens of the new heaven 
we find here they are, first of all, God's people. I'm going to read these verses, and then we're going to pray and get through tonight. But this is what we'll pick back up next week on. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. And he who sits on the throne said, Write, for these words are faithful and true. Then he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from the springs of the water of life without cost. He who overcomes will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But for the cowardly and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and immoral persons and sorcerers, and idolaters and all liars, their part will be in the lake of fire that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. The citizens of the new city are God's people. Father, thank you.